0: You're listening to the Podcast Detroit Network. Visit www.podcastdetroit.com for more information.
1: Welcome to Smart Sex, Smart Love. We're talking about sex goes beyond the taboos, and talking about love goes beyond the honeymoon. I'm Dr. Joe Court. Thanks for tuning in. All right, this week we're going to be talking about consent and the Me Too movement. Consenting and asking for consent are hugely important. Consent is all about your setting your personal boundaries and respecting those of your partner and checking in if things aren't clear. Both people must agree to sex every single time for it to be consensual. Without consent, sexual activity, including oral sex, genital touching, and vaginal or anal penetration is sexual assault or rape. Talking with me about consent this week is Dr. Laura McGuire, and she's a nationally recognized sexologist and consultant. She has worked as an instructor, presenter, educator, and trainer on topics including consent education and sexual harassment prevention. In 2015, Laura served as the first sexual violence prevention and education program manager at the University of Houston. And in 2017, she became the first victim advocate prevention educator at the U.S. Merchant Marine Academy. Welcome, Laura.
0: Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here.
1: Oh, me too. It's so timely and you've done so much work around this and I want my podcast to include this as much as I can. And I thought we could just start with: Can you clarify consent in the era of Me Too? What that means?
0: Definitely. Um, and I think this is this is one of those essential questions: Is is what exactly is consent? And a lot of people have different concepts of what that might be or not be. For me, consent is really a holistic approach to interpersonal dynamics, bodily autonomy. And a respect for the dignity of every person.
1: I love that. And so and what that means is individualized to every person. For right. them. Right. For themselves.
0: Right, exactly. And 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 respecting that in, in everyone you interact with, right? Not just somebody we're in bed with, but anybody that we are connecting with, um, and then respecting their own boundaries, their own needs, and not projecting what we think they're
1: okay with onto them. Maybe this is too big to go into right away, but it's on my mind and I've been wanting to ask you about this. I have had Mm -hmm. clients um, and just people in my life where they have an interaction. I'm talking about a heterosexual um, male, female interaction and he Goes to, um, make a move, um, that may, that, um, and she pulls away at first, but then she goes along with it and she says, you know, okay, you know, I'm like going to do this. And so then if they do, they, they engage in whatever that is. And then afterwards she says, you know, I didn't, uh, consent to that and that was not okay. I did pull back. And then he says, but then you pulled back in. And then I thought that was your way of saying it's okay. How do you address those kinds of, you know, Uh, nonverbal behaviors.
0: Definitely. So this is, this is a huge issue and um, it's a huge issue because previously for many, many, many generations as a world, we generally thought if someone isn't fighting off somebody and saying, no, stop, then, well, even if it's a gray area, it's a maybe, then it's okay. You know, and I remember even as a teenager reading an article in Cosmo, and it was about something they called, quote-unquote, gray rape. And it was essentially about that concept, right? Well, if the person didn't say no, and they didn't, you know, slap the person away, then could you really count that? And, whoa, what a difference 20 years makes, right? Mm -hmm. We are now looking at this very, very differently, and I think that's a good thing. Um, but it's it's what makes it hard for people, right? Because like you're saying in that example, a guy might say, Well, I have been socialized that sometimes women, you know, maybe they're frigid, they're cold, they're uncomfortable, but you know, you convince them and and they ease into it. And really for the first time in our world we're saying, you know, as especially as women, well, but that wasn't okay. You know, I felt pressured. Or I even felt afraid of what you might do if I outwardly, you know, straight up rejected you. Um, so I went along with it, but I wasn't happy about it. Right. Um, and I think, right. And so that's where we're, we are evolving to say, it's not no means no. Consent is not the absence of, you know, a no. It is the presence of a clear yes, Right. So if someone's in a situation where they're not hundred percent sure that this person's into it and and completely agreeing to what's going on, they need to get comfortable enough to ask them. And and what I always tell, especially young people, is if you're not comfortable enough to ask, you know, how are you feeling? Is this something you're, you want to do? I want to make sure you're comfortable um, and on the same page. Then. You're not ready
1: to have sex. Mm, I love that. <laughs> and that goes
0: if you're older now too, right? Yes. If you're 50 years old, you say, I've always done it this way. Well, it's time to reevaluate.
1: Now, some people have said to me, well, it's just not sexy to say, well, is, can I do this? Can I do that? Do I have your permission to do that? And then I, I say, mm-hmm. "Now, I'd love to hear your answer. My answer is you have those sexual health conversations before you start making moves, like what's on, what's on limits, what's off limits, and then you start to engage. But do you have a different answer for that?
0: yeah no, no, very similarly, um, it is about having a conversation ahead of time, but then of course, checking in and making sure the person's okay, right and and you have to have that emotional intelligence to read re- read their cues. you know somebody's tensing up, and you just you have to be able to say, you know, you just you seem that maybe something's off, this isn't exactly what you want anymore. you know, let me know. Um, and having that, that open communication. But it is really a, converse, a conversation that you have before. And you say, you know, what do you like? What don't you like? Um, you know, what kind of things would you like to do with me today if, you know, if the moment's right and we're feeling it? Um, and it's, it's interesting because if you look at the history of affirmative consent in the Western world, right, because there's there's also the culture cross-cultural analysis of how other cultures have normalized this and been deemed by anthropologists as rape-free, which we can talk about later. But if you look at as a Western North American society, how did this even get started? It started in the pink community in the 1980s. Mm. And because of what they call scenes, right, where they interact with each other in some kind of um, interpersonal or sexual play, that they could get very intense um and people could be physically or emotionally hurt. They really put that early, you know, Otis on we have to have a conversation up front about what the scene's gonna look like, um, how we're gonna communicate with each other that it's okay, it's not okay. Um and and that way it's, it's not constantly saying, like, can I do this? Can I do that? Um, right. One of, one of the people I interviewed for, for a book I'm writing on, on and a guidebook for schools around this issue and, um, and consent, you know, she said, when you constantly ask somebody in the moment, kind of what you talked about in that scenario earlier, it's actually a form of manipulation. Right, because in the moment I might be like, I I guess it's okay." Like, why are you doing this weird thing? And now you know I feel uncomfortable, and I make it. I don't know. Versus, I'm closed. You know, I yeah. I have personal space, and I can say, you know, I'm generally okay with this. I'm not okay with that. I would like to do this with you, not that. Is that sexy? I think so, absolutely. And I, I think it's people think it's not sexy because they're not used to it.
1: That makes sense. And what about the idea of, um, like what you're saying, I've heard people say, well, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do my best to be emotionally attuned, but um, I might not okay. be, and I may not totally get it. Mm-hmm. And so where's the responsibility of the person to say um, what, what's going on without me having to read that person? What about that?
0: Right. Well, and, you know, again, you just have to ask, right? You have to be able to say, does that feel good? You know, how are you feeling? Do you like this? you know that's not can i can i can i it's it's just ha- having that that constant open communication mm-hmm. um and checking in right and so if you're not sure you do just have to ask and and again i really do think when people get used to it they find that they have way more satisfying <laughs> sexual interactions um they leave you feeling more emotionally satisfied mm-hmm. right because you know You were with someone who was 110% into you and what was going on and loved it. That's really hot. That's right, saying like I don't know, maybe they were okay with it.
1: we'll see <laughs> right because a lot of um, a lot of men feel really like you know that the me Too movement doesn't speak to them because most of the men in my right. practice and in my own social circle say, if a woman's not into it, then I'm not into it. I'm completely turned off, so these are really only certain <laughs> kind of men that are doing this against women's wills, but then there's the covert ways that men are doing it that they don't even know right it's a it's a continuum
0: right right, right and Absolutely. And we want to make sure that we are not saying that people who are predatory in nature, right, who do get off on the power dynamic of assaulting somebody, right, because they're not they're not interested in sex. They're interested in power and control. Mm-hmm. Um, that we are not connecting that to, again, these, these shifts that we're going through where people are still adjusting. Um, and they might be doing problematic things, that they can say, well, you know, before this was okay. Well, it wasn't really okay, but society let it slide, right? And we're, we're changing how we approach that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I have worked with a number of offenders uh, in, in campus Title IX uh, cases and, and worked on restorative practices with them. And one of the things that they tell me, you know, because these are the people who are on that spectrum of problematic behaviors, not being able to recuse, um, you know, kind of toxic masculinity scenarios, Um, they tell me, you know, I feel rejected. I don't have the interactions with people that I want to have in a sexual context. Um, I leave wondering if they actually liked me or Mm. they were actually into it, right? Mm -hmm. So it's just not having real, true consent isn't satisfying for anybody. Right. Um, and so it actually benefits men, women, trans, non binary people. Everybody benefits yes. from from changing this perspective.
1: And I have to be honest. Before the Me Too movement, there was a a year before when the, uh, it had come out that Trump, um, Donald Trump, had said um, they had caught a tape that about him grabbing women's genitals, and mm-hmm. and but he had also said, and I do sexualize women when I'm talking to them. I'm thinking about being sexual and undressing them, and. This became a topic in a yoga group I was in. It was like a meditation slash yoga group and – uh, it came up and then one of the men in the group, um, said, you know, I, I don't grab women. I would never do that, but I do think about undressing women when, and I was about to say the same thing in my mind with other men when I'm with them. When I, and before I could do that, this woman, um, very, uh, um, empathically, but strongly and vulnerably started to talk about how um, she's grabbed every day in different places, in different ways by men, in different settings and then other women in the group said, same here. I go out and people feel – I was pregnant. People feel like they can touch my body. They can touch my stomach and it went on and on and, and I was so glad I didn't say anything and the guy that spoke felt so bad about what he said. I think the men in the room, including me, had no – Idea. I mean, I really had no idea how many times women are disrespected in a day until she spoke. And then the Me Too movement raised my awareness even more. I don't know if men admit that kind of thing, but I, I, I'm overwhelmed by
0: it sometimes. Mm-hmm. Yes. I, I think that, that brings up a couple of, of really important points, right? Is we don't often understand, um, especially if we belong to a socially privileged group. What other people are experiencing, right? And we see this with racism, sexism, homophobia, ableism, right? Where we think, oh, you know, what? I don't think it's generally okay for those people. Like it's not that bad, and yeah. and then they tell us, you have no idea what right. you live with. Can't even imagine. Um, but I think that's also a really good point that the women were bringing up. It's not just in a sexual context, right? And that's why I define consent as interpersonal dynamic, um, because. Someone touching your belly when you're pregnant uh, or demanding a hug from you as a child. You know, there's so many ways that we are told these messages that, you know, you don't have a right to say no. You don't have a right to your body. That someone with a title or a position um, can, can just take that no away from you and decide that they just want to do what they want to do. Yeah. And, and that's ultimately the problem, right? Is that we have to we have to stop the way we think about um, respecting other people's bodily and emotional autonomy.
1: I love that you brought up the thing with children because the new thing that I learned this year was if a child says, I don't want to hug grandma, I don't want to hug grandpa, then don't force the child to hug grandma or grandpa or whomever. That there may be a reason and even if just the reason is I want authority or autonomy over my body, then that should be okay, right? Right,
0: exactly. And You know, I grew up in in the Deep South, and I've heard a lot of backlash over here about, you know, well, that's going to make children disrespectful to their elders. Uh, And I think it's important to clarify that we're not saying that the child then ignores the grandparent, right? They don't have to (laughs) just turn around and walk away. There are so many ways to interact and greet somebody um, in a positive and respectful manner that doesn't demand physical contact, right? Because Again, those messages, you think about what does that then say to somebody um when they're in a relationship when they're older, right? Well you have to hug grandma and grandpa because they have the title of of a relative. Um, okay, well then when you have a boyfriend and they have that title and they demand physical contact, you have to go along with it too. Mm-hmm. Right? Those are the messages that again just become supplemental and you can say, Well, is it really that bad? But it does. It is a continuum of harm. It is how we build, you know, one issue leads into another, leads into another. And before we know it, we feel the stuff that we're seeing in the Me Too movement. And we say, where did this come from? Mm-hmm. We weren't even paying attention.
1: Yeah. And I if, to go along with what you just said about not paying attention, I then read an article in the last year about gay men and the Me Too movement and how does it apply to us, doesn't it? And my original reaction was, no, it doesn't apply to us. I mean, when I'm in gay spaces, we're all touching each other. We're all, you know, doing this and doing that. And then I thought, but you know, there are, there are times that I've been touched and. I didn't want to be touched and I I thought, well, should I want to be touched? I'm gay and everyone else is doing it here and if I say, don't touch me, then people look at you like, well, why don't you want to be touched? The other day, my husband and I were in Provincetown and we were sitting behind these two guys, really nice guys, and they were drinking and they were a little drunk and one of them started massaging my shoulders in a very sexual way and, and Mike is sitting right next to me and I never said it was okay or not okay and I didn't know what to do. I have to be honest and it must be like that mm-hmm. for women. I I didn't. I wanted to turn around and say, "Please don't do that," but that felt too aggressive. And if I let him continue doing that, then Mike sitting next to me, I, I was like in a in a weird place. What would you say to that?
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I would say the meeting went should apply to everybody, one hundred percent. Because because it is again, about a, a different approach to how we look at all of the ways we interact with each other, right? And and that goes for everybody, every gender, every race, every orientation. Um, uh, another example of this in how it is applied is you know with with people who have physical disability and you mm. know you use a cane or you use a wheelchair, mm. people will just walk up and physically touch you know their their chair, their cane, whatever, as if it's not an extension of their body, and it doesn't belong to them, <laughs> um, and and that's definitely a violation of bodily autonomy and consent. Wow. That's and a, so... Yeah. Yeah, right? And so if you are in a space at any time and you think, you know, this doesn't feel right, you're absolutely right that it is hard to say, you know, hello, hello. You know, please don't touch my shoulders. You're making me uncomfortable because, then the person will take offense sometimes. Yes. And say, oh, I didn't mean anything by it. You're too sensitive, um, right? And so that's that's where we want to get everybody to understand that. Yes, this is important, and it again it does benefit everybody. Um, and that person should ask before they rub your shoulders and say, "Can I?" Yes. Um, And I think, you know, so many times when we're already part of a marginalized group, we already feel like, like you're saying, it's so hard to find spaces as queer people that we feel comfortable and we can be sexual and not be shamed for it, right? And so then we think, oh, if I have to, like, bring in new rules to this group, are they going to accept it? Mm -hmm. You know, we've already overcome so much already. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Uh, But I do think it's important. Absolutely. And I will say, I haven't seen that same dynamic in queer female spaces Mm. as a queer woman myself. Um, I think we're very big on consent and and boundaries because we often have all experienced some kind of trauma around it. And so I think that's something when we see that with gay men, that is probably kind of um, a side effect of toxic masculinity and internalizing that. Right. Yeah. Just violating people's boundaries and, and not getting used to asking first.
1: That's a very interesting slant, and I didn't know that about the lesbian community, that you are much more about mm-hmm. consent. That makes sense to me, though, because of the trauma histories and the um, directness, right, of being right. – well, well, the trauma histories and then, then the correcting of that within themselves, right? Mm-hmm. And, yeah. hmm What would you say – right. um, drinking and drugs, how do they affect consent?
0: Yeah. So, especially with college students, who again I, I work with a lot, um, and high school students, this is this is a little question, right? Is can I drink or use drugs uh, and and still get consent? And what if we're all drunk or all high? The reality is, legally, you you are in a very dangerous zone because. So the way that somebody might have difficulty when they're sober saying no because they feel intimidated or they feel uncomfortable, um, if somebody is not in their right mind and they're not completely aware of what's going on around them or what they're saying yes to, then how how can we really have an affirmative, clear agreement to something Right. if we don't really know what's going on, right? Um, on the other side, you know, I, I have worked with students, though, who will say, especially in college, that I am. I am going to smoke pot with my boyfriend, and we are going to have sex. And so, you know, I inform them. Well, again, remember, legally, you're, you're walking a, a really dangerous line. Um, but I understand that that is something people as adults will consciously choose to do. And so then, you know, what kind of, again, communication... Um, and safety precautions can you put in place, mm-hmm. uh, and they, and that is something that they will have to then decide on their own. And it's it's I think similar in the pink community to the concept of consensual non-consent, mm-hmm. right? Like if I'm I'm not in my right mind, but I'm still going to agree with this ahead. If I'm going to give someone complete power over me um, to decide what's going to happen next, as a consent expert, it makes me very very nervous. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, I ultimately want to empower people about the risks. And, and then make sure that they know that they have agency to, to decide what's right for them and their body.
1: I love that. We only have a few minutes left. What would you say we didn't get to that you would like make, to make sure that is included in this podcast?
0: Yeah, um, I guess the last thing to touch on that I think is really important and I've gotten a lot of really positive feedback on when I speak, speak to it is the fact that rape and domestic violence, all kinds of interpersonal gender-based violence are not human nature. And I think that's a really important point to make, because a lot of times people say, well, you know, you're not going to solve the problem, and, you know, this is just how people are, this is just how men and women are. And Mm. the wonderful news is that's not actually true. We have been able to find a number of examples of cultures, particularly tribal communities, that do not have a concept of sexual assault or domestic violence because they have so much empowerment and equity between the genders, because they reject toxic masculinity and even toxic femininity, if you want to, to talk about that too. And, and, and they really make sex something that's very empowering, something that's very normal and without shame. And when you see those dynamics together, these are cultures that just do not have a word for or a concept for the things that we think of as, human nature or normal Mm. or common
1: that's so important Um,
0: yeah so that's really inspiring right is that we can take the lessons that they have and learn from them and i definitely think we can we can create a new cultural expectation and norm around these issues
1: yeah no thank you for adding that that's really important so where can people find you tell us your websites twitter account whatever you want people to know to find you
0: Definitely, yeah. So, uh, I'm super active on LinkedIn. Dr. Laura McGuire is my name on there. Um, they can go to my website, my personal website, and dog R as in Roger, Dr. Laura McGuire.com. Um, my firm's website, so I do a lot of work through there, is equity and agency spelled out.com on Twitter and Instagram. Um, they can find me at at equity and agency or at Dr. Laura McGuire.
1: I'm so glad to have you as a resource. Thank you because there's so much out there that I don't think is is so good, and I think your stuff is excellent, top-notch, and people should go to your website and your stuff and read it. Thank you so much.
0: Thank you so much.
1: Thanks for listening to this episode of Smart Sex, Smart Love. I'm Dr. Joe Court, and you can find me on joecourt.com. That's J-O-E-K-O-R-T.com. See you next time.